We're going to take communion in just a, just a few minutes together. And I want that just to be a special time. Because we know that the, the Gospels, of the four Gospels, the, the majority of those Gospels, if you put the verses in a pile of all the Gospels, the biggest chunk of it is the last week of Jesus' life. It's the last week. It's, and, and so his death, burial, and resurrection is the, is the gospel. It is the, the lion's share of what we think about. And every Palm Sunday to Easter, we reflect on this last week of his life. And Palm Sunday, we call that because in the, in the beginning of this week, he enters into Jerusalem. And then at the end of the week, he's crucified, and he's in the grave, and on the third day, he resurrects from the dead, right? And so we have this incredible week. But in this incredible week, as I was thinking about pre preparing this message that is a little two-part series, I, I couldn't disconnect Matthew 21 from what we saw last week in Revelation 5. The two go hand in hand. And so I'm going to do something that's a little... It's a little bit of a stretch for me, and I might get confused, so y'all are really going to have to pay attention. Uh, I want to make sure we think, we think of what happened on Palm Sunday, what happened in that last week, and then we see it in Revelation 5 because I think it explains a lot. A lot of what's been on my heart all week. Because what we see in this, in Matthew chapter 21 and in the last week of Jesus' life is just one of the oddest things you'll ever see. Because in chapter 21, verse 5, he tells the disciples, go get a foal, go get a donkey, I'm going to ride into town on that. And they, they tell him, they say, why? Well, to fulfill this scripture, verse 5, behold, your king is coming to you. He says, That's, we're, we're, we're fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy of a Messiah. And I'm the king of Israel, and I'm going to ride in just like Scripture prophesied. And then in verse 6, the disciples went out and did as Jesus had directed. And they brought the donkey and the colt and brought him and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And so you get the picture of Jesus coming in. But he's coming in the way the Old Testament said, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, your king would come in this way. And they, sh they should have been expecting that. And many of them had kind of bought into Jesus, and we see them doing something Radical and wonderful. Look at verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And so they just covered uh, all the dirt and the mud. They covered it with these beautiful garment of palms and leaves. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, meaning he is the Christ, the anointed one, the king who would sit on the throne of David, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. They were proclaiming him, this is our king. This is, like we saw in last, last week in chapter 5, this is the lion of what? Judah. Oh, y'all are with me. The lion of Judah. The one who would continue to carry the scepter of Israel. They had waited for hundreds of years for their lion. And here he comes. The one who will rule, the one who will vanquish the Romans, the one who will set us free. But if you jump to chapter 27, towards the end of this week, you see something amazing. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas, a criminal, to come out of jail. And the, and the crowd asked to destroy Jesus. 
thought he was the king. And the governor, the governor knew this was crazy. He said, what happened to you folks? Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. Within a matter of days, a city who seeks in Jesus the king, the ruler they were desperately hoping for, we see this king placed not on a throne, we see him placed on a cross. We see him crowned, but not with gold, we see him crowned with thorns. What in the world is happening? Now we know behind the scenes as Christians what's happening is unwittingly in their rejection of, of Christ, they turned him from the, the Lion of Judah into the Lamb of God. He became not just the lion who would sit on the throne, he became the lion, uh, the lamb who would die on a cross. But what a transformation. It speaks to us as human beings. Why do we do such things? Why do we, why do we kill that which is sent to help us? Why do we destroy that which is sent to give us life? Well, to understand, I think I want to peek back behind the curtain. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 5. And let's peek back in behind the curtain in the future. And we see the same dichotomy that just has, it struck me. It's stuck with me all, life, all, all week long. Everybody wants a lion to defend them and bring peace and fix their problems. Wouldn't you like one to fix our problems? Wouldn't you like a lion to take over our government and fix it? Wouldn't you like a lion that could heal your cancer? Wouldn't you like a lion that could, could heal the mental illness that you're suffering from? Wouldn't you like a lion that would just would fix the problems. Everybody's looking for a lion. Someone who will control and bring peace and just fix the mess. And Israel was looking for that lion and many of them said, here he is. Then they said, destroy him. What in the world? Isn't it fascinating when we go to Revelation 5, we see a tragic search in verse 1 it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. So God is on his throne and he holds this perfect plan. It's perfect. And the, and the seven seals sort of speak to its perfection. It says it's written on front and on the back, which was kind of unusual. It's packed. with. It is to me, in my mind, and I think what God is telling us through this passage is he has the fix for us. He has the plan for us. We need a book. We need a plan. Something to do something. And it's right there in his hand. And we're looking for someone that can bring a plan to fix planet Earth. And you see the desperate search, don't you, everywhere? The desperate search. Who is worthy to figure all this out and fix all of our problems. 
And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to bring around the plan, to open the scroll, the perfect plan uh, that will renew our planet, renew our earth, renew our hearts, and heal us. There was no one that in this moment that was worthy of opening that. And I begin to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. I wept this week for a number of reasons. I did a funeral for my dad. But I, I wept also. Why, why did a 28-year-old young, young lady break into a Christian school and shoot six people? Why? Why? Why was she so angry? Why was she so confused? She's confused over her gender. She was confused over who to be angry at. Don't you wish we had something to fix that? And haven't you heard all week all the ways we can fix it? Man, let's get rid of all the guns. Hey, she's just mentally ill. Let's just, let's just pour more money into treating mental illness. Hey, let's elect officials who will take control of this. And let's just get better. Let's just get more police at the school. Now, all of those things may be necessary, but I'm telling you they're only temporary. They're temporary because all of our temporary lions that we set up to fix all of our problems, we have to understand, and the Bible teaches us those are temporary, not ultimate. There is only one ultimate lion who can rule us and only one sacrificial lamb who can heal us. And that's Jesus. And so I think we have to look at all the problems and, and we look at death, we look at someone die, we look at illness, we look at aging, we look at cancer, we look at the economy, we look at all of these things. And you as Christians, I just think God's just confirmed in me Every time I turn to the Bible, we need to do practical things to try to address these and their messy problems. And there's no, we don't back up and just say, hey, just wait till Jesus comes. He'll fix it. He wants us to use our wisdom. He wants us to use our vote. He wants to do the best we can. But what we cannot do is look to that as our ultimate solution. Our ultimate solution. And the reason that Jesus came in and said, all right, I am your lion. I am the one sent to rule you. But then he turns around and he says, destroy me. Because he knew that we needed more than a lion to rule us. We needed a lamb to heal us. Because having lions to rule and just having an external ruler cannot fix the brokenness of our heart, the brokenness of your soul. I mean, we just, we're on a tragic search Human beings are on a tragic search without Jesus. And they're trying to find whatever they can to fix the problem. And, and right here in chapter 5, this is what it is. The fix, the plan is in his hand. And you see, no one is worthy to bring it about, perfect that plan, fulfill that plan other than Jesus. And that's why heaven erupts. 
That's why John, when the, the elder kind of pulls him up and says, look, there is a lamb. There is one. Look at verse 5. He says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has what? Conquered so that he can open the scroll. He can fix this. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw that lion with his gold flowing mane and all of his power and strength. Now, that's what that verse should have read. But there's this strange dichotomy, isn't it? Right there, instead of, look, he says, there's the lion of Judah. He's conquered. And, and you turn, and in the midst of the throne, you see a lamb. We need a lion, but we can't have the lion without the lamb. The lion, I hope you're following me. I'm, I'm not confused by this. I hope you're not confused by it. <laughs> Weak, if the lion came without the lamb, he would have no one left to rule. We would all perish forever in hell. He needed to be the lion and the lamb. And that's what happened between Palm Sunday and the resurrection. You see, the lion came and laid down his life to become the lamb. And forever and forever and forever in heaven, we're going to see this incredible dichotomy, this incredible tandem reality of who Christ is. He is the lion who conquered, but he conquered through a cross. Incredible picture. And so we... We have a search for the lions in our world. We search. We think we can fix our problem with gold and guns and government. You can add all the other stuff. You can even put false gods. You just add your list. I just threw out a few. And you can take your mind and kind of think through that. If we can just throw enough money at it to fix it, if we can just, if we can just build bigger and better guns, it will fix the ones. If we get more powerful than the people that have the other guns, we will be able to rule well and, and we have to have them don't we I mean that's the sad thing we have to have them we have to have these things because of the brokenness we have to have money to rule we have to have weapons in fact we know biblically that God gives us the power of the sword gives government he ordained government and gave them the power of the sword or the power of guns, the power of weaponry to, uh, to preserve justice, bring about justice, and to bring it against evildoers. And so that is an ordained thing. But here's what happens. And we're going to see this in the book of Revelation. These things are good in, their, in, their, uh, in that God has ordained them to help us deal with the effects of sin, to bring about justice, to bring about rule. And he ordains governments and all of these kind of things. But apart from Christ, the ultimate end of all of these things leads not to a beautiful, benevolent lion, but when we search and walk through the book of Revelation, it, it is not a lion that we see, it is a beast. A monstrous beast that these things... And you know, our founding fathers understood this. When they made uh, this particular form of government that you and I live in let me just give you a couple of quotes John Adams said our Constitution 
was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. They knew this. They knew that what started off with a predominantly Judeo-Christian ethic could work with our type of representative freedom. The freedoms we enjoy are now the freedoms that are our weakness. They knew this because it's really only adequate for those who have a moral and religious ethical foundation to control that freedom. John Jay, he said this, no human society has ever been able to maintain both order and freedom, both cohesiveness and liberty, apart from the moral precepts of the Christian religion. Should our republic ever forget this fundamental precept of government, this great experiment will then be surely doomed. You see, it's the heart even that helps our form of government function. And as the heart of of Christ, if it, if it diminishes among us and in our homes, all we can, no matter what, the lions that we put in charge will become beasts and consume us. Y'all thought y'all were going to get an upbeat sermon today. I'm sorry. It's been what I'm thinking this week. I get tired of the tragedy of the search. the grasping for lions. And then when we get to Revelation 13, here's the lion that everybody's going to run to in the final days. You see, the Antichrist is going to come across as a benevolent lion, one who can rule well. He's going to sell us on that. But look at Revelation 13. From God's vantage point, when he looks at our best lions, our best rulers, look how he describes them. I saw a beast rising out of the sea. With ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. And one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon. For he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? See, from God's vantage point, and this is what happens. Even when we establish good things, over time, because the brokenness and sinful of man, those, those lions turn into beasts. And we've seen it happen over and over and over and over and over again over thousands of years. Empires rise. And empires fall. Now, that would be so hopeless for us and tragic if we didn't have the rest of chapter 5. If we didn't have the rest of Matthew. Because the elder picks up John and he says, John, look. Verse 6 of Revelation 5. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. You know, the, I think that our culture right now is at a turning point because we are seeing these things we think are going to save us. 
I think a lot of America's looking at our, we thought the gold of America would save us, the guns of America would save us, the government of America would save us. Oh, we're going to get artificial intelligence, that'll save us. Oh my goodness. All of these wonderful things, they're good, they're good, they're necessary, but we know, I think our, our nation is starting to realize these things we thought were gold are turning into beasts. The internet has turned into a beast. It's killing us. Social media has turned into a beast. It's eating our children alive. Started off good. But there is a lamb who can heal that. And here's the lamb. And the world's searching for this lamb. Someone who can fix our sins, fix our hatred, fix our violence, fix our racism, fix all of these things. They're looking for that lamb. They're looking for something to cover our sin, something to help us unite on. And they're trying to figure out what it is. There's a tragic search even for a healing lamb. And, and John says, here he is. It has to be a lamb like this. This is the only kind of lamb that can really fix us. A lamb, first of all, that had to be slaughtered. Notice this lamb was standing as though it had been slain. And the word is slaughtered. We needed a slaughtered lamb. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. We needed a sacrifice for our sins. Someone had to pay the penalty for this world's sins. And, it, and for one person to pay the penalty for this world's sins, it had to be one mighty person, didn't it? That's why this person is in the middle of the throne. This is God himself. It had to be a person who was slaughtered. It had to be a person, however, if he were slaughtered, he had to be standing. Because if he weren't standing, he'd still be in his grave. And there are lots of people slaughtered that have been put in their grave. But this one had to be slaughtered and had to be standing. There had to be a crucifixion and there had to be a resurrection. And so we see a lamb that is unique. The only one that can heal us is the one who would die for us and who could resurrect and renew us. That's the kind of lamb we needed. And then we see this lamb has a particular power to him. He has perfect power. It says seven horns. Perfect authority, that's what the horns represent. He has, and seven means it's perfect, it's complete. He has complete authority. And then it says he has these, this, this, these seven eyes, meaning he has complete perception and wisdom. And so we needed a lamb who was slaughtered, who was standing, and who is standing in a particular uh, posture, in a particular place, with particular power. He has the power, he's omnipotent, he is omniscient. That's the kind of healer this world has to have. And that's the one we see behind the curtain. That's the one who resurrected from the dead. Oh, that people would turn to Jesus. I hope you've turned to Him. Because here's the thing. My sermon could end right here, but... Jesus says, listen, this is the future. And I want you to see at the end of this chapter, and I don't have time to go there, and then in chapter 6 and in other chapters, we see around the throne people from every tribe, 
every nation, every empire, that have been under every kind of ruler, every, that have faced all sorts of problems, we find that this lamb is able to save people and draw them in and heal them and give them new, renewed life forever. And so we are not hopeless. We do not panic in the face of the challenges of this world because this lamb died for us. He's standing for us. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. And he is a lion who will rule and a lamb who will save. Don't you hope that's true? Do you know that's true? How's that pastor at Covenant stand over his daughter's funeral without this being true? How does he bury his nine-year-old daughter? How do we deal with the hurts that we have in life and that we see? The Bible points us to the cross. And forever and ever and ever, the cross and his work, a, a, a slaughtered lamb standing, a resurrected Savior, will forever and ever Remind us of our guilt, but it won't lead to sorrow. It will remind us of our desperate need that we had, and then it will remind us of His incredible grace. And that's what the Lord's Supper does. Until we see the risen Lamb, we come to the table. And at the table, we have a representation of our slain Savior, His body and His blood. And in that, it is symbolic of our hope, our healing. By His stripes we are healed. And it is, it is symbolic of the lion to whom we must submit, who needs to rule us. And so let's prepare our hearts to remember this incredible Lion of Judah, this incredible, marvelous Lamb of God.